We're starting a new series today called I Am. Um, it's, it's for eight weeks long, and it ends on Easter, not Christmas like I said last week. That would be a really long series. Um, but it ends on Easter. Easter is just eight weeks away, or actually seven from today, I think. And um, as what you'll notice in our world and in our country is as we kind of start ramping towards Easter, there'll be a lot of publications and television shows and interviews and all kinds of stuff where people will be asking this question, who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? Time Magazine, or a couple of years ago, put out this huge, um, right at Easter time, this article about who is Jesus, and they were asking about the, the historical accuracy of Jesus. Is he who he says he was? Did he really exist? And what did he really do on this earth? And it's their perspective on who Jesus is. Here's the thing, though. Throughout the Gospels, one of the things that you see over and over and over again is Jesus making some pretty amazing, incredible statements about who he is. He would say this. He would say, "Um, I am dot, dot, dot. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. The resurrection. I am. Say those words after me. I am. After me. We're with me. Let's just try it again together. I am. I am. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at the I am statements of Jesus, and we're going to try to discover who he said he was, and what does it mean for us today. So if you have your notes, you can pull it out. We're going to be looking at a story in John chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching a large group of people. The scripture says that there were 5,000 men, and so realistically there was probably somewhere around ten to 15,000 people total, because for some reason they didn't count women and children. So there's this huge group of people who are listening to the teaching of Jesus, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, we got a problem. These people are hungry, and we got to do something about it. So Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and, and the scripture says that he multiplies it, And he feeds them all. And then it says that the evening sets in, and he tells his disciples to get into the boat, and they go across the lake. And when they get there, the next day, the people come looking for him. And that's what we find in John chapter 6. You can open up your Bibles. You can open up your notes. But let's read together. John chapter 6, verse 25 through 35. And this is what it says. It says, they found him. The people found him on the other side of the lake. And they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Let's pause right there. Listen, to Jesus kind of calls them out right off the bat. And he says, hey, the only reason you came looking for me is because I gave you something to eat. You got something from me. It's like those friends that you know that come to church only on like potluck Sundays, right? Or relatives, or or sometimes your attendance is a little bit bigger. On those Sundays, you know there's going to be food. And so Jesus says, that's the only reason you're looking for me is because I got I gave something to you. And that's what he says. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. 
And they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you, want, if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Now check this out. This is the same group of people the day before that Jesus multiplied you know, the few fish and the few loaves to feed over 5,000 of them. And they're looking at Jesus and just saying, Hey, you, know, you, we, you want us to believe who you are? Then show us again. Give us another free meal. Take care of us. Feed us just one more time. And Jesus calls them out. First it says, And after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread Every day. And Jesus replied, read it with me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Who are you, Jesus? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You have a taste of me. You eat me. And you'll never, ever be hungry or thirsty again. I'm the bread of life. If Today, we're just going to look at two thoughts. What does that mean when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life? What difference does that make? And and this is what what I just want to share with you today. If, If Jesus is the bread of life, then we need to look to Jesus as our true source of satisfaction. Sing this song after me. You guys know it. I know you do. I can't get no, say it, satisfaction. And I try, and I try. And I try, oh, and I try, I can't get no, you guys tailed out on me, what happened? Or did I just get really excited? Did I just start, okay, I got lost there for a second. Here's the thing about that song, is that that song is so true for our culture today. I mean, think about it. We live in a time and an age where we have access to more stuff than ever before. Not only do we have access to more stuff than ever before, but we have more stuff in the history of our planet than today. It's true. I mean, when you go home today, you're walking into a really nice house compared to the past. And you'll probably heat up lunch in a microwave like, did that really exist 40 years ago? I don't quite, maybe, maybe 40, but not 50 or 60. You know, we drive cars, you know, 100 years ago that not everybody had. Um, we, we have technology. We can look up any question in any second on, 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 on cell phones. I mean, we have access to more stuff at our fingertips than ever before. But we live in a world that is so unsatisfied than ever before. It's true. We're just dissatisfied. We, we, we can't get enough. And Jesus is looking at this crowd, and he's saying, you guys are just looking to me for another free meal. That's all you want. But I can give you something. Something that you're really deeply longing for. Not just fish and bread. I can give you more. And when you get that, you will never be hungry or thirst again, because I alone satisfies satisfy the deepest longing and desires of your heart. He's the source of our satisfaction. He satisfies our need 
for love. Here's the truth. We, we all need love, right? We all need it. We all need it and we all need to give it. It's just a part of our DNA. The problem is, is that we often look to the wrong places to find that love. Have any of you ever thought that you found love just to find out it wasn't what you thought it was? And you were deeply burned or deeply hurt and you're just like, what happened? What happened? As a youth pastor for over 16 years, I couldn't tell you how many times a junior high or a high school boy would walk into my office, you know, just like sweating, you know, this glow on their face. And they're just like, Jared, you're not going to believe this. I met this girl. Her name's Megan. And oh my gosh, her eyes. When I look in her eyes, I just get lost. I get, they start, I get lost. In her face, it just glows. She radiates like an angel. Her hair, it's so silky smooth. I mean, I am in love. And then the next week, they'll come in and they'll have that same look and I'll say, it's still Megan, right? And they're like, not Megan? Who's Megan? It's Jennifer. This girl, Jennifer. They'll say, I'm in love. And I'll say, son, you're not in love. You're in heat, bro. You're not, you're, you're not in love. There's a big difference. There's a big difference in experiencing true love. Valentine's Day was just a couple weeks ago, right? 12 days ago. How many of you did something significant for somebody in your life on that day, Valentine's Day? Anybody? A few of you? Okay, well, good. Hallmark thanks you because they've made a whole lot of money off you, bro. They're raking it in. They're raking it in. The truth is, is it is that that type of earthly love, it doesn't really satisfy the deepest needs of our hearts. There's this guy in the Netherlands who, um, who wanted to propose to his girl. And so he rented a, um, a, one of these extension trucks. And uh, the idea that he had is that he was going to pull up her truck in front of her house and go stand in the basket. And they were going to take this extension over the house and lower it down into her garden in the back of her house. And that he would, he, he call, he was going to call her ahead of time, be in the backyard, and that he was going to be lowered into this basket, you know, on this extension ladder, and then he would, he would propose. So he rented the big truck, and he got to her house, and he loaded it, and when the ladder got extended, it got extended a little bit too far. And this is what happened. Do you have the picture? Yeah. And so it falls into the house. And they get it turned around and get it lifted up and then it falls again. To show the next picture. Twice it fell into this house. Deeper and deeper. And here's the thing. The house that it fell into wasn't her house. 32 different people were displaced in this housing project in the Netherlands. By the way, she said yes. She said yes after all of this. But this picture is a picture often of what our life looks like when we go looking for the satisfaction of love in other places than God. We get wrecked. Our house begins to crumble. There's this deep drive in each of us to be loved for who we really are. And I just want to tell you, no matter how much your spouse loves you, they're never going to be able to love you as much as God does. Because only God knows you. 
the way he does. Only God knows those deep secrets and those longings from that dark place. Only God understands every part about you, every blemish, every fear, every failure, every good thing. And here's the thing, with all of that knowledge, he is still madly in love with you to the point that it drove him to a cross so that you can be redeemed and loved by God. And until you understand and receive that love and now know that love that happens from Jesus, you'll never be satisfied. You see, Jesus satisfies our need for love. I'm the bread of life. Come to me for that satisfaction. He also satisfies our need for purpose. That drive that we all have to mean something, to do something, to accomplish something. Here's the thing is that we substitute all of that stuff from leaning into God. Some of us, it's success. That job title, that, that house, or that car, or that promotion, or that money, or that accumulation, or whatever it is. And we get, and we get, and we get, thinking that when we get that, we'll be satisfied. It's like a couple who bought a house, or actually who built a house in Florida. I didn't catch their names, but you can Google Florida house, $700,000, and you'll find the article. That's because that's what I did to find it. The house that they built was took them $700,000 to build in a beautiful location overlooking the ocean. And it was three stories. You can see pictures of it online. It's three stories tall, absolutely gorgeous. These big, huge um, patios on the second floor and the third floor looking out over the ocean. On the back, it had a pool with a deck and a screen that can lower and, and raise, you know, to keep out the weather so you can enjoy the pool year-round. Absolutely Amazing. It took them a year to build. Six months after building it, they discovered that they built it on the wrong lot. Let that sink in. What happens when you build a $700,000 house on somebody else's lot? It's not your house. They had to get lawyers involved. The contractor screwed it up. You know, the land surveyor. Land surveyor, contractor, builders, owners, every single person in the midst of this building project for a year and they didn't realize that they were building it on lot 21 instead of lot 23. Think about it. How many of us race to the top to achieve success, to make it, to get that thing that we've been pushing for and striving for. And then we realize that our ladder that we've been chasing is leaned up against the wrong wall. And when we reach the top, we realize, I'm not satisfied. This didn't give me what I thought it would. There's no purpose and no meaning when we get to the, to the top. See, here's the thing. God knit us together. And he has a purpose and he has a plan and you can't find it any other place but in him. See, Jesus, he satisfies our need for purpose. He also satisfies our need for the supernatural. You go to any culture in any corner of this world and there's going to be some sort of God, st- God story, some sort of God that they're approaching and trying to achieve and find love and forgiveness or whatever from. Here's the deal. Isaiah, Isaiah says, the reason this is, is that Isaiah says that he has put eternity in our hearts, that every man that's ever been created, that there's a place of eternity in their hearts. And so we're all chasing that dream, that understanding, that supernatural that's out there. Because there's something out there. 
there's an old story that preachers preach all the time about a kid in a class. And um, they tell it all the time. This kid is drawing a picture and his teacher leans over his shoulder and says, Hey, Johnny, what are you drawing a picture of? He says, Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she starts kind of laughing. She says, But Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. And he looks up at her real confident. and says, Well, they'll know as soon as I finish my picture. <laughs> they'll know. They'll know as soon as they see him. When I'm done, they'll have an idea. You see, John says this. John says that the Word was with God and that the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and walked among us and we beheld His glory. And Jesus says, I am that something. I am Him. And only I can satisfy your life. There's a scripture we often like to quote, Psalms 37, 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. Anybody ever heard that scripture before? Take delight in the Lord and He will grant you your heart's desire. And when we use that, we sometimes we have a tendency to try to manipulate God with that. If I delight in God, then He'll give me the desires of my heart. And the desire of my heart right now is that, you know, that, that convertible Corvette. And that's really what I want. And so if I do this, then God will give me this. Or it's that house, or that, that job, or that person or that wife, or that guy, or that girl. And, and, and the truth is, is that, that's not what that scripture means. What that scripture means is that when I delight myself in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, He'll give you your heart's desire. Because your heart's desire has become Jesus. I put it in your notes. that Jesus is not a means to what your heart is looking for. He is what your heart is looking for. He alone satisfies. He's our source of satisfaction. If he's the bread of life, then he's our source of satisfaction. Here's a second thought. If he's the bread of life, then he wants us to learn how to savor him. I love that word savor. The word savor means to enjoy something with unhurried appreciation. It's like that meal, that steak that you get. And every bite just has a way of melting in your mouth. And you just, you, you don't scarf it down fast because it wouldn't do it justice. So you eat it slowly or that chocolate cake or that rich dessert or whatever it is. And so you just take it in slowly. Some meals you want to hurry through for a purpose, right? It's like, I just got to choke this down and get it done. But when you get that really good one, you want to, you want to savor it. We just don't take a test, taste test and move on. But the sad thing is, is that that's how some of us treat Jesus. Bless you. We treat Jesus as a taste test. We try to squeeze him into the cracks of our life. And here's the thing is, Jesus doesn't want to be squeezed into the cracks. He wants to be the cornerstone that our life is built on. He just doesn't want to be a portion of it. He wants to be all of it. And what would happen if we spent some time in unhurried appreciation if we savored Jesus and opened up our lives to him. Many of us were like the disciples. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he looked at his disciples and he took Peter, James, and John into the inner sanctum and he said, hey, I just need you guys to stay up and pray with me. And it says that Jesus came back and he saw that, that they were asleep and he looked at Peter and he says he returned to his disciples and he found them asleep and he said to Peter, couldn't you just watch with me even an hour I just asked a little time and you fell asleep on me. That's how God would see some of us. Falling asleep on him. 
You see, when we savor Him, we come to know Him. With the rise of technology around us, it's, it's amazing how easy it is from dis- to disconnect from each other. Haley and I were out to dinner a few months ago, and uh, we were eating, and we looked over, and it looked like this couple was out on a date. And, um, and the guy had his cell phone out, and the girl had her cell phone out, and they were just staring at it. I was like, put that thing down. Talk to each other. You guys are so disconnected. You're sitting across. Maybe you're texting each other. I really don't know. But put the thing down. Disconnected. There was a woman in Florida who was walking down the street, and her ex pulled up on a bike. And they started talking. You know, when you start talking with your ex, often the talking turns to arguing. And the arguing turned to fighting. And so the two of them got into a fight. And the story in the article, the news article said that while they were fighting, the guy snatched her hair and rode off in the bike. And her wig got pulled off. And so she's freaking out, crazy mad. She calls the police and they come and they're talking with them. And they said, well, give us a description of the guy. And she said, I don't have to give you a description. I know this guy. He's my ex. We lived together for eight months. And they said, okay, well, what's his name? And she said, well... Um, his name is, I think it was something like Mark, but, but I really don't know his last name. They lived together for eight months, and she didn't know the guy's last name. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? How in the world can you live with someone for so long and not know their last name? But it's not that crazy. Because many of us have been a part of the church for a whole lot longer than that, and we know a whole lot less about Jesus than that. We're here, but we're not here. We're in the room, but we're not connecting with his heart. I mean, I don't want to get hard on you. Jesus was hard on his own disciples. Philip, who had walked as one of his disciples for over three years, Jesus is sitting with him within one of his last few moments in John chapter 14. Look in your notes, verse 9. And Jesus replied, Philip, have I not been with you all this time? And yet you still don't know who I am. That's something he can probably say to you and me at times. It's here, but it's not sinking in here. You see, when we learn to savor him, That's when he becomes our satisfaction. We savor Jesus. We listen. When we connect, when we read, when we allow that time for him to come deep into who we are. Here's a second thought. He wants us to learn to savor him. Because when we savor him, we move from salvation to transformation. You know, as a church, we really believe in spiritual formation and leaning into Christ. We talk about us getting in our, in our Bibles and reading and devotions and Christian books. And that's why we offer classes that we do because we understand that we learn best and we grow best in our relationship with God when we do it together. Here's the thing. Is that some people say, well, Jared, I've accepted Christ. I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven. Why do I need to do more than that? The thing is, you need to do more because you're not done yet. How many of you are willing to admit that I'm not a finished product? Yeah. How many of you know the person sitting next to you is not a finished product? Now, husbands, be careful. Me too. I know I'm not. If you think you're done, then just talk to some of us and we'll let you know that you aren't. 
We all have work to do in our growing and our transforming and our shaping to be more like Jesus. Here's the thing is that I, as I keep leaning into Jesus, as I keep discovering who he is and leaning into his word and doing it with other people, that, and that, that opening up his word and praying together and studying together, as I do those things, I begin to love more like he does. I begin to reflect more like he is. I, he begins to change me day by day by day. Here's a really cool story about, about a guy named Steve Vaught. I think that's how you say his last name. April 2005, he was 40 years old. When he was 25, he was in a car accident that killed a couple people, and he went into a deep, deep depression. And um, in that depression, he started to kind of medicate his life by eating food. And that was his, that was his way of self-medicating, was eating. And, and the story, the article, there's all kinds of news stories and articles about this guy. Um, he ballooned to over 410 pounds in a very short amount of time. He said that to his wife and kids at a later time, he said that he really wanted to kill himself, but he didn't have the courage to buy a gun and pull the trigger, so he decided to eat himself to death. And um, one day, something just woke him up and shook him to his core, and he realized that he had to change his life, so he decided to walk across America at the age of 40, weighing 410 pounds, carrying a backpack that weighed 85 pounds. And he began walking. And 13 months later, he went from San Diego to New York City. In 13 months. During that time, he lost over 100 pounds. He weighed in at 296 pounds. All these people were asking, how did you do it? How did you do that? How did you make it so far weighing so much, carrying almost 500 pounds of weight on your legs, on your feet? This is a picture of him. How did you do that? How did you make it so far? And he said, I did it one day at a time. One step at a time. Over and over. He was slowly transforming. Same it is with me and you and God. Every day that we journey with Him, every day that we savor Him, every day we experience Him, every day we lean into Him, every day we experience His power and His presence and His glory, He is shaping us to be more like Him. Now, we always don't see it, and we always don't feel it, and we always can't look back at yesterday and say, oh, I've grown a little bit more. But when we look at last year or the year before, we should be able to see a difference as we learn to savor Jesus. He transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. He makes us like Him as we are changed into His image. One last thought. When we savor Him, His life flows into us and through us. There's a cool image in the Old Testament of Moses when Moses went on the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, he came down with the two tablets. And when he came down from the mountain, his face shone with God's glory. And it really freaked people out. I mean, this guy's face was literally glowing. And so all the people got really freaked out by it. And so Moses got a veil and placed it over his face so that he wouldn't be freaking people out around him. 
And the scripture says that every time he went into the tabernacle after that, the tabernacle was, was a place that they traveled with that represented God's glory. And the only person that was allowed to go in was Moses. And the scripture says that when Moses would come out of the tabernacle, his face would shine with God's glory. So when people saw Moses, they could say, man, Moses has been with God. I need to pay attention to what Moses is saying because something divine has happened to him. He shines with God's glory. And what happened to Moses is what God wants to happen to us. When we lean into God, when we savor Him, when we experience Him, He pours His life into us. And that same Spirit that filled Moses fills us, not intending to stay inside of here, but to flow through us into the lives of people around us. It's like what happened in Acts chapter 5 with Peter. Look at the scripture I put in your notes. It says, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats. Check this out. So that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. Why? Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Just the shadow of Peter. He had so much of God's power and his spirit inside of him that just his shadow brought life transformation to people around us. Have you ever been around somebody and you can sense that they have been with God? They just radiate God's love and his grace and his mercy. You see, the purpose of becoming a Christian is to show Christ to this world to reflect him to people that need him desperately. Jesus said this. He says, I am the bread of life. Is he your bread of life? 